maybe 30 or 20 years ago, a Saudi might have said, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab and I'm Saudi. Now they might say, I'm Saudi and I'm Arab and I'm Muslim. You know, they're trying to radically refashion their country and they need help from the best experts in the world. Do you want to have your country's people be disqualified from that because of some essentially antiquated point of view about how countries work together? In recent months, it can feel like Saudi Arabia is intent on buying the world. It's bought up much of golf, sports teams, many of the globe's best soccer players to its own domestic league, and it owns huge chunks of many of the biggest companies on the planet. But Saudi Arabia is not just on a shopping spree. The once insular, oil-rich kingdom is transforming into a major diplomatic and military player, a pivotal actor in the energy transition, and looks set to host high-end cultural events like the FIFA World Cup. You know, they know that buying a football club immediately brings you a billboard into a global game that allows you to completely reposition yourself and rebrand yourself. It feels like we're entering the era of the Saudi project. But what exactly is the kingdom trying to achieve, and will it succeed? Coming soon from Intelligence Squared, the Saudi project is a new podcast series seeking to answer some of these questions and more. Britain does have choices. It's not either or situation. We either indulge Mohammed bin Salman or boycott Mohammed bin Salman. There is a third choice. Search The Saudi Project wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thank you very much, Hannah. Thanks to all of you coming. Just hearing there about the uh, agenda coming up, it does sound as if that's perfectly timed, because I think election nights tend to be when Russia does indeed come in from the cold. So um, that's obviously very, very good planning there. We have a subject before us, though, which is, uh, could not be more pertinent for our time. You'll have known that the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year for 2016 was post-truth. Uh, you'll also know that there are three books no less than three, no fewer than three, rather, that have come out right now on that subject. And central to any argument about this post-truth landscape is fake news. And that is the subject uh, before us. And it's going to be discussed by six people, all expertly placed, either practitioners in the news business or people who are monitoring and closely looking at how we get our information and what might be done about it. It's not a formal debate with a motion to be discussed. Instead, it is a discussion where we're going to hear these conflicting and competing arguments over here. And then in our final segment, we're going to open it out to all of you for thoughts and contributions. Let me then, without further ado, introduce to you our panel, who we're going to hear from uh, very quickly. First up, and on the uh, physical far right of this panel... um, (laughs) is a professor at Columbia Law School and a former advisor in the Obama White House. His most recent book, which I can tell you is on sale after this event outside this venue, is The Attention Merchants, How Our Time and Attention Are Gathered and Sold. In 2013, he was named one of America's 100 most influential lawyers. He is Tim Wu.
Next to him is one of this country's most successful comedy writers. He co-created the legendary Alan Partridge and wrote the political comedy series The Thick of It, the film In the Loop, and was the showrunner on the White House hit comedy Veep. He is Armando Iannucci. You already gave her a warm welcome when she arrived. She is currently uh, the editor of BBC Radio 4's Today programme and revels in the title uh, of George Osborne's predecessor as the former editor of The Evening Standard, Sarah Sands. (laughs) On my left, as I've often felt, is a journalist and author with a regular column in The Spectator, a contributor to Breitbart News, and his books include How to Be Right, The Essential Guide to Making Lefty Liberals History, a warm welcome for James Dellingpole. And completing our, well, not our, completing our physical panel, because there's somebody else joining us by video link, uh, is somebody whose services I suppose every single person in this room uses every single day. He is, of course, the founder of Wikipedia, the online not-for-profit encyclopedia, who has now set himself a new task in order to fight fake news. He's recently launched Wikitribune, a news website which will bring together professional journalists and volunteers working together to create fact-checked and reliable news. He is Jimmy Wales. And completing our panel live from, well, via video link, he's the media editor of BuzzFeed News, where he leads BuzzFeed's analysis of fake news, training journalists all over the world in verification and debunking of news, depending on whether it's true or false. The author of Regret the Error, How Media Mistakes Pollute the Press and Imperil Free Speech. I'm hoping we have a video link to Craig Silverman. There he is. Good. So what we're going to do is hear an opening sort of case, or just an opening answer really from me, brief and to the point from each of our speakers. And Tim, I'm going to go to you first because I think with any question like this, it helps to begin with a definition. So define for us what we're talking about. Tim Wu, what is fake news? Sure, that's a, a great question. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time looking into the history of the news, in particular uh, of fake news. And I, I think there's two main categories of fake news that you see uh, emerging in the history, depending on their motivation. The first is commercially fake news. Uh, this usually arises um, when you have a, a business model, that, uh, as, as most uh, media do, that depends on, on gathering up human attention where you change the facts to make a story more commercially appealing, to, make, to get in more readers. So the first example I was able to find of, of this was the New York Sun in the 1830s um, reported in a six-part series uh, what it had found on the moon. Among the things it found were tall yew trees like those in England, giant lakes, and most important, man bats, which were... These, Creatures like us, but uh, capable of flight and fond of fornication. So that was an example. The motive of this was pretty clearly to drive circulation of 
the, the newspaper, and this was the first newspaper, New York Sun, that was completely dependent on advertising. And so you can see the sort of commercially motivated fake news. You just make up better facts because they're more interesting. The second kind of fake news is different and used to be called and has its origins in atrocity propaganda. So, uh, I, and I think the pioneer of this was, frankly, this country and its uh, newspapers and some of its uh, propaganda ministries in the First World War. And this is where you make stories, fake stories, for political or uh, strategic reasons. So, during the First World War, there was enormous stories of the atrocities committed by the Germans against the Belgians. It was a big thing, constant publication. Many of these stories were never, you know, the Germans uh, uh, impaled children on bayonets and, and sang songs about it. Many st stories clearly made up ne or never verified and, and used for obvious political uh, reasons. So those are the two motivations. And I think today what's happened is they come together. You know, so many of our outlets, um, you know, Facebook and Google who aren't here as examples, depend so heavily on traffic, clicks, time on site, attention, frankly, that they have a commercial motivation to want to have fake news. And then there's a lot of people still and have always been that have a political reason to want to have fake news, you know, for more than one reason. But essentially, I think that atrocity element is there as well. So it's come together and that's our modern day fake news. Very good. Thank you. We'll, we're definitely going to get you to expand on that. Craig Silverman, I hope you can hear us well. You're, this is an area that you uh, study closely. Are you able to give us in a, you know, how you can tell the difference between a story that might have a couple of inaccuracies in it and something that you would put the, slap the label on of fake news? And then perhaps while you're doing that, just explain to us on what sort of scale of threat you think this poses to democracy and to our way of life, really. Yes. Hello. Hello, everyone. Um, so I, I do think, similar to what Tim said, um, putting that label of fake on something, for me, it has to be completely fabricated. As you noted, uh, there are often, uh, frequently, news reports that have some type of factual error in them. And that's a very common thing. Um, I spend about a decade looking at mistakes in the media. And journalists, we do make a lot of mistakes. There's no question about that. But there is a difference, as Tim said, of something that is deliberately created to deceive people. And I do think the commercial piece is, is an important thing to note in the media environment we're seeing right now. Um, in terms of the impact on it, uh, you know, one of the things that I think it does on a really basic level is it increases the amount of confusion that we have in the information space. When you have stuff that is true or mostly true, and then you have things that are completely false, and they're sometimes built around the same storylines or events, that creates a lot of confusion for people. I think it also has a role in potentially polar, further politically polarizing people. Someone who is already a bit to the left or a bit to the right, um, they start to consume things that are along those lines and a little more extreme, and over time, they can potentially become more polarized because it's feeding them further those views. Thank you. Um, that's helpful. Armando, to you, you have made your name writing satirical fiction, often political fiction. Is it harder, looking at just the events of the last year, to separate fiction from fact and, and it almost because fact is almost outstripping anything you could have made up. Yes, that's one of the reasons I'm grateful that I gave up doing Veep uh, because I, I no longer find the situation in America funny. I find it d d depressing. Um, yes, um, there are stories happening now that, that we would have considered when we were writing these shows and then I would have rejected them as being too silly. For example, I think it was a UKIP, I might have got this wrong, or it was certainly a candidate in the election yesterday was advocating um, reintroducing capital punishment for suicide bombers. 
which, um, do you know what I mean? It's a sort of... And, and I was looking at... But I find Trump and, and his, his take on this... I, I was watching him and his... It's the brazen way in which he takes fact and fiction and mixes the two that in, intrigues me. He talked about recently how this... What did you do in your hundred, first hundred days was a, a nonsense and it was a terrible, false target. It was artificial. He wasn't interested. And he said this at a speech at a rally given to mark his first hundred days. And as I was watching him, I was thinking, this is, this is the problem because when you're writing comedy, you're writing distortions and exaggerations. You take something that's true and you bend it and twist it until it becomes ridiculous. But that's what he does in every sentence he speaks. So he is his own sort of self-basing basting satirist, really. Yes. And therefore, what do we do? And it's yes. interesting that, that the, the comedians who have had any kind of impact are the ones who have actually taken the opposite view and, and, and gone, OK, well, let's look at facts. Let's examine facts. Let's hire a team of journalists and researchers. Let's look at the archives. I'm talking to people like John Oliver and Bill Maher. And, and, so almost and, shrinking it back to the actual core of the truth rather than all the twisting. Yes. You, I mean, I, it, there's a risk of this becoming a philosophy seminar, but I just want to know the difference in your mind because you made a distinction just there between facts, you said, is different from truth. Oh, right, OK. So just tell <laughs> us what you, what you, well, what, only, what, how you were using Only the in the truth, you know, we... You, we like to think that truth is absolute, but it's not. Any scientist will tell you that a theory that becomes accepted is accepted because it's the most recently and most so far foolproof theory that explains what's happening. But it may well be superseded by an even more uh, complex and, and, and enlightening theory. I'm not saying that. I, I just wonder whether we're on the verge of finding out that, you know, truth rather like the atom is slightly indefinable until somebody interprets it mm. and as soon as you interpret it it starts it, it, it interprets a fact it's the interpretation you put on a fact that we consider right what is true and what's we, not true we may again we may want to pick up with that more um so to you sarah sands you've worked for the what, what donald trump would revile as the mainstream media the sort of hated mainstream media in print and in broadcast now both uh, what, what change have you noticed or uh, challenge almost has fake news posed to you perhaps even directly have there been stories that are running that you think are fake and yet you're sort of they're going viral and you're thinking how do we cover this what should we do so what impact is fake news having on the news landscape that you sit you know you occupy a pretty central position in actually i think it's a big opportunity there was a conversation i overheard yesterday of someone saying where, where do you get your what's your news source which is a question people ask now and um and the guy said, oh, I go to Google News and then I go to a trusted source. And I think that is, a, you know, that's a, that's a sort of interesting distinction. And for, um, I mean, at the, at the BBC, you're at quite the sort of holy orders um, uh, side of all this. So, um, and I mean, the BBC's entire reputation stands on it being a trusted source. So um, it's just not worth the risk, uh, apart from anything else. So, you know, if we, even talking about... Um, Manchester, uh, you know, for instance, where there's a great, obviously, outpouring of information and a lot of it wrong. Um, but, but the idea that you don't have to be first, you have to be right, um, is, um, is, is very helpful, actually. That's interesting. But, so were you sort of double-checking and triple-checking some of those reports that were coming yes. in on Manchester in a way that was almost... Was it even more vigilant than it might have been done uh, two or three years ago? More vigilant than I've ever seen, right. yeah. 
And so that's that degree be- of vigilance is, is, as I say, because the entire reputation of the BBC stands on it, on it being trusted. And but particularly now in the era of fake news. Particularly now. So that's, your, so, so that's really your, the virtue now. So, and I think that, you know, that, that's true in um, slightly different degrees um, elsewhere. You know, that actually mainstream media, apart from anything else, newspapers, having thought they were on their sort of deathbed for a while, you know, there's a glimmer of hope now um, because the advertising may come back is one thing. So you're hearing from three different people there, or four actually, um, James, Dellingpole, that you know, fake news one way or another is an issue, it's a problem. How serious a problem is it, do you think? Um, I'm sorry to say this to everyone here, but you're wasting your evening. Um, <laughs> fake news is fake news. Um, Tim quite rightly said that, that fake news has been with us in one form or another for, for, well, for centuries. People have always been making stuff up for propaganda purposes or to blacken the reputation of their, their enemies. And there's, a, there's a, a line that goes from the, the blood libel told against the Jews, the idea that, that the Jews were going about murdering Christian children and drinking their blood, right the way to the protocols of the elders of Zion, for example, this fabrication many, many centuries later. Uh, you can look at things like the recent-ish 4chan scam, where they got revenge on their feminist enemies by persuading them that there was this thing happening that uh, women were going around not wearing tampaxes or panty pads as a kind of feminist statement. It wasn't actually true. They gulled some poor women into, into thinking it was a thing with, with embarrassing consequences. Uh, there, are all, there, is, there is all manner of fake news around, and there always has been, but I would say that the name we've given to it is inaccurate, what it really should be called is sour grapes. The two obvious examples, and the, and, and the reason I was the, the fake news issue came up at all on the BBC, it came just after the Brexit result. And I noticed that the fake news meme, as I would consider it, coincides with the fact that Donald Trump won and he wasn't expected to, and Brexit happened and, and that this wasn't expected to, at least among the, um, the established media. They were shocked. And they needed an excuse. Just those couple of stories I mentioned at the beginning, because you're sceptical about the idea of there is fake news. Those, you know, the Pope endorsing Trump did go round. It was shared widely. And this claim that at so-called Pizzagate, that there was a sex ring run from the basement of the restaurant. If you don't, don't think that's fake news, how would you describe those two stories? I, I think that the, the, the fake element is that it, the idea that it's in any way new or problematic. It's just a, a, a fashionable name for an old phenomenon. I don't believe that, any, that for example, the Brexit yeah. vote was swung by the fact that people wrote £350 million inside of a bus, although I'm always told this by, by uh, Ramonas. Um, in the same way, I don't believe it was the Russians that swung it for Donald Trump. These are just excuses. Fake news is, just an, is not a problem. And I get the, the point about it being not new, but let's say that allegation about the child sex ring, why is that not a problem? About the... The people who believe the, uh, the Pizza Party Ben story, I think were already predisposed to hate Hillary Clinton. I don't think these, these right. were kind of natural voters who were suddenly swayed. So it might not have a political impact. All yeah. right, let's um, go to you, Jimmy Wales. Um, the, you, you, know, you started this new venture, uh, Wiki Tribune, and I know we want to get as our discussion goes on, beyond just diagnosing the problem, we do want to talk about possible remedies, accepting for the sake of this conversation that it is a problem. Um, And you're already in the business of coming up with the remedy. So why don't you tell us what your plan is? Um, Yeah, so 
Uh, Wiki Tribune is a new news platform, and it's an effort to bring together uh, paid professional journalists and a Wiki-style community to work together side by side as equals uh, to produce something new in the, in the field of news. And so the idea is uh, to tap into uh, deep networks of expertise, of quality people out there, but also to have professional journalists doing the kinds of things that it's been difficult or impossible for citizen journalists to do. But I think equally important to that, um, and, and part of the reason for that, or part of the thinking on that is, we, the business model of journalism has become incredibly difficult. And we know that the business model is driving a lot of the low-quality things that we see from uh, fake news that, that I would equate equivalent <coughs> to, to spam. I mean, people just generating stuff that gets shared widely uh, for no other reason than to get clicks, uh, to clickbait headlines and various low-quality media. And that's driven by uh, advertising-only business model, uh, and so uh, the, only, the only way to get money is to get lots and lots of eyeballs looking at something uh, which drives you in a certain direction. Uh, and the high costs of journalism um, make it very hard to do quality work uh, when uh, you, know, you can only get slivers of revenue here and there. And so the idea is to have no advertising but to have the, the readers contribute to uh, become monthly supporters and that actually suddenly radically changes the business model as you think about what, what kind of things do we need to produce. Good. We're going to hear more about your proposal in the course of the evening. Craig um, Silverman, I hope you're hearing all this. I mean, I just want to put to you, you know, at least two people have raised the idea that it's not wholly new, um, that they've, you know, all, history is replete with examples of propaganda and, uh, and even lies in the news, and yet we do have this new term and approaching it with new urgency and so I'm just wanting to hear from you a sort of sharpened distinction between what we're grappling with now and what we had in the past and whether maybe it's just because it goes viral so much more easily because of the internet. Yeah I, I mean there's no disputing that misinformation has existed for a very long time and there's also I think no disputing that the media has played a role in spreading false information at times throughout history. So what's different? Well what's different is we have a platform like Facebook that almost two billion people log into every month. And that platform can make things get pieces of content, news, get tremendous velocity, and as you say, go viral. And what's happened is because Facebook is such a massive traffic generator, it is a huge target for spammers and people who want to exploit it for economic means. And so what's happened is that news and traffic, in order to monetize them, people are coming up with different approaches on Facebook to try and get that traffic to make money from ads. And so the economic model for misinformation is probably more appealing and more global now than it's ever been. That is definitely something that's different. I mean, whether it's you know teenagers in Macedonia, spammers that I've encountered in Vietnam or Kosovo around the world, you have people who are trying to weaponize information in order to make money off of it. And one of the interesting things, which I think Tim alluded to in the election, was that you know, arguably some of the propaganda stuff and actually the financially oriented fake news were kind of identical. Um, the pro-Trump stuff was apparently perhaps something that Russia might have been trying to help influence. Again, I don't think Russia flipped the election. Um, we should mention, because Craig mentioned Facebook, uh, that we did indeed contact and seek a representative from Facebook on the panel tonight. And despite our best efforts, they uh, repeatedly declined our invitation and so are not here but um, I just thought I'd mention that since since Craig had mentioned them. and I, I was going to go to you on this Tim but others might want to jump in this point about how we make decisions as a yeah. society and this is like Sarah's example about the crime or Amanda's example about the crime figures Newt Gingrich and the crime figures if we actually don't know what the crime figures are it's very hard to drop a 
criminal right. justice policy. Yeah. So you need people to agree on a basic set of facts. Yeah. With that in mind, and I'm going to do this partly, and I will give you a chance to come back, but because of some of the things you've written about climate change. Somebody who denies human-made climate change, would you want to say that's a different opinion or would you want to slap a fake news label on that? Uh, I might. Uh, there, there was a lot in the United States of corporate propaganda. Uh, you know, I think some of the greatest propagandists are, 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 are corporations. And I think when it's disingenuous, when it, it, it you know, sort of represents a view of a tiny percentage and exaggerates it into a debate, that is propaganda, that is fake news, and that... Uh, so you resist it. I don't think it should be censored, but I think it should be called what it is. Um, I want also to take great exception to this view that you know fake news is something that everyone does, and you know Blair did, and so forth. I think that uh, that understates the problem significantly. I think that fake news and propaganda is always the tool of the extremist. Now I agree that you'll have it on the far left. The Soviet Union used a lot of fake news on its citizens. And, you know, the German, the, the, the Third Reich used it on their citizens. But it is always a tool of someone who doesn't have a better argument. You know, why do you go to fake news? It's because you can't win the argument in the center. Why is there climate change denialism? It's because they can't win the regular scientific debate. Right? Why do corporations resort to, to inventing, in the United States, we're always inventing campaigns and, you know, even now having robots who comment? It's because you can't win the political debate. And that is a grave danger for an open society that relies on the idea of public opinion mattering. Because it moves people back to like, well, maybe we have to completely count the public out and just have them out of it and have experts decide. That's what, that's what some people start thinking about it. Um, no, I think it's, it's a grave danger to the ability of society to make decisions at all. And if you want to have an open to society that makes good decisions, you really need to fight propaganda hard. Very good. Amanda's going to yeah. come in, but I, d- d- James yeah. should come back on your position on fake news. Uh, sorry, your position on climate change. Some have branded to be well, fake news. Tim had yeah. two shots, didn't he, actually, before yeah. mine. And the first one, he did the clever rhetorical, cri- well, rather devious rhetorical trick, where he said, yeah, we've had cancer with us for a long time. So, like, like fake news is like cancer. He's planted that idea in your mind. What about fake news is like bad weather? It's been with us all the time. You can, you can, you can, we can both play these games. Um, uh, Craig, if I can just briefly pick up on, on his point, so I don't think the case has been made that fake news is a bad thing. I really don't. Uh, one of Craig's arguments was that, that people are making money out of it. Well, my goodness. Anyone who works in the media today knows how damned hard it is to make money out of any form of journalism. If kids in Macedonia are making a living by making stuff up, I say fair play to the kids of, of, of Macedonia. But to return to, um, to Tim's deeply objectionable point, uh, I, this, I was going to develop this later on, but, but since we're here, we may, we may as well, well go there. This is the arrogance of the, the liberal media, thinking that its version of events is the correct one. He can't even countenance the possibility that those on the sceptical side of the climate argument might actually be right, might actually marshal evidence to support their, their case. And it seems to me that, that he's missing a key element of what journalism is about. It is about making a case whether you're on the left or the right. That is your job. It doesn't matter what label you attach to it. It is about making a case, using arguments, using logic, using quotes from people that you've you've gathered. But the idea that Tim can just suddenly declare that this is kind of, he implied, funded by sinister interests, that seems to me quite wrong because that's his opinion. But I don't think that, that it is the only opinion. I think there are other valid opinions out there. 
Okay, but the, you, you just said it's his opinion, but what if there's facts and evidence and data that he can draw on? Well, it's interesting you say that. One of, one of the more lamentable trends in, in uh, our universities in the last 20 years, and this is what Leopold Bloom wrote about, wrote about is, is, is the, uh, that there is this thing, relativism, that there is no such thing as truth. Actually, I think the job of journalists has been and always will be, ultimately, to try and find the truth it's just that it's not necessarily what people from the New York Times say it is. There are other... Well, I mean, I would argue that I'm right, basically. All right, good. We, we we're certainly not going to open up the whole climate change argument because we mustn't do that. <laughs> well, you did I, it. I, it's my fault. You started I'm, My it. bad. I just wanted to talk about the, the, the issue itself rather than drilling into it. But, um, Amanda, you wanted to come in right at the beginning. Uh, well, OK. Uh, oh, there's so much to kind of come in on now. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> Wind back, first of all... Uh, Accusing people who make fake news of, 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 of cowardice, of not wanting to take part in the discussion, in the debate, is, is fine. But we have to apply that to both sides of the argument. I think for too many, on too many occasions, people on the, for the want of a better phrase, the liberal left, have concluded that they are right in any argument and that things are obvious and that those who don't agree with them are... Uh, uh, supplying falsehoods. For example, I voted Remain uh, and I was deeply disappointed that Brexit happened, but I was absolutely shocked by the attitude of key Remainers for quite some time, which is, well, you just got it wrong because our argument is the true argument. And I think you have to fight against that. So, which has got us nicely to where I wanted us to pivot, which is into remedies and solutions. We're just going to take it for the, for the sake of this part of the argument that there is a problem here to, to be addressed. So naturally, I'm, I'm going to look to you, Jimmy, because you've got into the business mm. now of proposing a solution. Besides your own project with Wiki Tribune, what mm. else in the broader news universe needs to happen to deal with mm. this problem? So, yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I can talk about the things I won't solve, uh, but I think there are pieces of the puzzle that are out there that need to be solved. And w one of the biggest is um, things spreading virally uh, through Facebook. And what happens there, uh, more than anything else, is that news, uh, fake news stories, and, and let's pick something uncontroversially just completely made up, uh, Pope endorses Trump, got shared you know, tens of thousands of times. And what happens is that these websites, they look like news websites. They've got all the signifiers. There's a masthead and some ads and it looks like news and byline and so on. And it spreads virally through communities of people who are not avid news junkies. And I think it's perfectly valid in the world that some people shouldn't have to pay attention to the news. That's not for everybody and that's okay. And the problem is uh, in a slightly different set of historical facts, we might be sitting up here all freaking out that Facebook has decided to determine for us which news we should be seeing. That sort of unbelievable power of Facebook to shape the dialogue is something that people on the left and on the right and I think all parts of the political spectrum, it makes us nervous. That, that's really like very big brotherish. And at the same time, we kind of want Facebook to help do something about this. And I do think there are things that they can do uh, that, that are okay. So, I mean, one of the things I want Facebook to do, if I'm, if I'm about to share something, and it's been debunked by third-party fact-checkers, and it's sort of well-known that this is a problem, I just want them to warn me, to say, you know, something to the effect of, you, you might 
be about to look like an idiot in front of your friends. You might want to go check this before you share it. Uh, a lot of people have said this is fake. And then let me share it if I want to. Um, and that's, that's slightly mild and, and gentle enough um, to just give a warning now and then. That's very interesting if you get that warning just before you press send or whatever, or press share. But what about, should it just appear on Facebook saying this has been flagged up as, as suspect? I, but but this is, there is a really difficult thing. If it's just, this has been flagged as fake, then you get brigades of people just flagging stuff as being fake because they don't like it. Because they don't like it, yeah. um, you, get, you, you don't want a situation... He, he may write a column, an opinion piece about climate change where he sort of, whatever, puts forth his views um, that, you know, I don't really want Facebook to sort of flag up his opinion as being problematic but, and you wouldn't... Jimmy, that is the problem. That is well, no, what's going to happen. Well, that's why it's Facebook really hard. Facebook has a liberal bias. Absolutely. Well, you know, obviously people on the other side... I'm doing a BBC thing now. People on the other side of that argument <laughs> no, would say that Facebook does no, have a liberal... I think objectively speaking it does have a liberal Well, let's go to Craig Silverman because I wanted to hear from you. We're on, we're on remedies now. What, what do we want from... Facebook and Google are obviously absolutely central in disseminating this information. There was a big argument started here when somebody typed in essentially about the Holocaust and Google came back with a whole set of answers that directed you to... Holocaust denial website. So what do we want from Google? What do we want from Facebook? To you, Craig. Well, I, I think one piece of it, to go with the, the point that's been made previously, is, is I, I, part of what we want is also what we don't want, which is, is them stepping in and exerting even more influence over things. And so for me, I think the first step is, well, what I want is transparency from them as the first step. Um, because if, if there are people who feel they have a liberal bias, if there are people who feel that you know, they favor some pages over other pages... The only way for them to address that is to actually be far more transparent than they are. And the only way that we can be assured of the things that they're going to do, the technical measures to adjust the algorithms and other things to lower the distribution of fake stuff, the only way we can be assured about, you know, there not being crazy unintended consequences from that is for more transparency. So that's, that's probably the first piece. I think they do have a technical responsibility to do things. I'm wary of putting, you know, any more power in their hands. Um, I think especially in Facebook's case... Seven months ago, before the U.S. election, they did not really want to engage on this topic. Um, they wanted to stay away from it as much as possible. Now they're engaging, which on one level is good, but on the other level, we have to be hugely concerned because when they make an algorithm tweak, it changes the fortunes of places. It changes the different information that people see. So they have a role. I think Facebook is right to go after the 100% fake stuff and to not completely create blacklists and other things that, that threaten free speech. Um, but I think step one is more transparency from them about not just what they're doing, but how that's being implemented, and then actually giving data to third-party researchers so they can analyze what's actually going on. You know, the last part of it is that these platforms are so big, Facebook and Google don't know everything that's happening on their platforms. It's actually impossible for them to do that, so we need more third parties to have access to the data to actually say, hey, we found some huge problems here that you guys need to address. It's very interesting what you say about transparency. The Guardian did reveal this week the so-called Facebook files, which showed the manuals that Facebook are using, and it was quite striking what they were, their own guidance to their own moderators about what they'd allow through and what they wouldn't. Um, to you, Tim Wu, and then I want to just go around a, bit, a little bit on what we should do ourselves, and then we're going to open up. So just a brief answer from you, Tim. This idea that should Facebook and Google be sort of have to come out as publishers and be, admit right. that they are no different really from the BBC or the Guardian or the New York Times and take all the responsibility yeah, that goes sure. with it. No, I, um, absolutely. So uh, first of all, I want to say... If 
The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Because whether you're thinking about challenges big or small, let's not dress it up life can be pretty stressful. So it's healthy to have a place to discuss those thoughts and share what's on your mind. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. We've heard from plenty of the biggest thinkers on psychology and wellness on this podcast, and it's clear that therapy doesn't always have to be solely about addressing some big scary trauma. It could just be a way to learn a few new coping skills and empower you to become the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com intelligence today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot intelligence. It's uh, arrogance to speak for the truth and I will plead guilty. You know, I, I think I feel a very so- solid ground saying that, um, to respond to this other things, that... We need people fighting for the truth, and we have drifted very far. I, cancer may be too far, but we have recurrent problems that come. Propaganda has seeped into our new system because of the uncertainty, because of the change in business models, and we need to fight it, and I'm not ashamed to say that at all. Um, as for what Google and, and Facebook uh, should be doing, I, because I'm an American, I, I feel I can say this, that the American faith and transparency is is way overstated, and transparency remedies do nothing. You know, like, look at privacy, for example. Oh, you know, you have to be transparent about how invasive you are of people's privacy. Does that stop anything? No. People just click and be like, okay, I've just given away all my, my privacy. I don't think fake mm-hmm. news gets cured at all by transparency regimes. I think that fundamentally, um, you know, you keep saying we don't want to give Facebook any more power. The power is already there. If you don't want to give Facebook power, quit or break them up. Don't be like, oh, you can't do something. They are already a leading media power. It's too late if that's going to be the problem. They're already creating the media environment we live in, so they need to clean up their act and be a little more responsible. Uh, Marvel Comics, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, they're already doing it. They're, they're doing a huge amount to create this environment. I think they have to, to clean up their act and not you know, fool around with transparency algorithms. But try, how, how should they be made to clean up their act? Well, I'm not saying they should be made to. I think they should take the. I think they are beginning to do this, and I think they need to take the ethical responsibility of saying, okay, it's not like one hand on the other hand. There is this thing called fake news. Uh, it happens. You know, that's what, what he's trying well, to do. What with might that pressure them to do that? What were, you know, they're making billions. So of maybe news. they can compare themselves with Wikipedia and feel a sense of shame. 
I mean, Wikipedia, I think, is a model in this world. You don't talk, hear about Wikipedia occasionally people sabotaging things. A lot of love for Wikipedia. We <laughs> try. I mean, you, you have occasional sabotage in Wikipedia. You have your problems, but you don't have stuff sticking around forever that's completely, absolutely off the, off the scale. I mean, you do have entries for comic book heroes, which are longer than for maybe historical figures, which is a little bit of, a, of an issue, and uh, minor bit characters on popular dramas. But um, I can deal with that. But I think Wikipedia, despite all the critics' trusted source, whatever Wikipedia did, Facebook can do too. They have, you know, one way or another figured out uh, this problem. And I just sort of, I hate this equivocating, oh, we're going to do something small. I Good. think they need to take action. Thank you. There's much more I would ask all of you, but I want to hear now from our audience. So we're going to have people with microphones moving among you. Uh, do put up your hand if you would like uh, me to come to you. Let's ke- and probably keep your hands there until I can see. Okay, microphone number two. Do you have someone there? You've already got someone there, so look good. Let's keep that there. And you've already got some there, somebody at number one, which is good. Um, let's bring, if there's a third microphone, or perhaps um, microphone number one when you're finished, find another person there. But let's hear from the person who's already there. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Really, really fascinating. I just wanted to ask a question um, and just hear opinions, really. If you think that part of the problem is calling everything news, you've kind of all alluded at some points that some of it's just content, some of it's for entertainment, some of it's an opinion piece. So are we kidding ourselves as readers that are we letting ourselves be misled and placing the blame on on journalism and news organizations and actually we should say we've just watched a really crazy video. It's not news. It's not news, exactly. Really interesting, thank you. Um, Let's hear the question number two, yeah. Just to pick up on Tim's point there, Jimmy, if you could Wikipedia Facebook, how would you do it? <laughs> and by Wikipedia Facebook, meaning make it a wiki model. Is that what you mean? Yeah, thumbs up to there. Um, thank you. And then we've got question number three. Somebody's already there. Yeah. Um, it's really a follow-on from the first question that you've referred to it as fake news and propaganda. Why not lies? And where do you see the distinction? Thank you. Well, let's, let's go with that first. Um, Armando, to you, why do we not just call this stuff lies rather than these very convoluted formulations well, about post-truth and it all that? It is, but you know, as everyone's been saying, it's it sold as a form of entertainment. Part of, the, part of the problem is the medium now means that we... I started off, the very first TV show I did was fake news. It was the day-to-day. It was a spoof news programme. So that was I, fake. That was fake. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the horses on the underground, everything. It was all false. Um, but we could do that then because we knew what the news was. There was yeah. a commonly agreed idea of what the news was. It was Jeremy Paxman, it was the BBC, it was ITV. You know, the news outlets, outlets were, there were only four or five main news channels. And, and now it's not just the spread of 24-hour news and online news, but the fact that the medium itself, the, 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 the web, allows anyone to make anything look like it's the Guardian, or everything is now looks like it's of the same... It gives authority to anything. That's the problem. What do you think, um, Sarah, about this use of the word news? Would it be useful to start using that word a bit less, perhaps, and really narrow down what we meant by news? There was a word called... It was an info 
entertainment mm. at some point. But what happened to that? You know, it's, I guess if people, it's, it's, a it's a word, word that they use up. naturally. <laughs> exactly. It's a word so we if it's the, the word people today. use, <laughs> it's the word it was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's restore it. Um, it's what people say, oh, I've got some news, you know, and, that, yeah. and what we're talking about is a complete democratisation um, of um, what people... Um, what people regard as news. So, so it's a tricky one. Um, you know, you can either... I mean, the BBC, big sort of trusted brand that people know, so that's, that's all right. But I, I sort of have faith that, um, in the end, you know, the truth settles. And if you look at the arc of a story, even if it's sort of Manchester or something, it always starts with um, something, something's happened which everyone wants to know about... There are um, lots and lots of information, some right, some wrong, some theories right, some theories wrong. Finally, you, 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 you get a picture of, w- of what really happened. So it's just whether you're prepared to be patient, I think. And news is when you actually know what happened. If, just raise your hand if you feel you have ever, even on a very small level, been taken in by something that you later realised was fake news. Wow. In fact, I'm going to put my hand up to you for that. Good. So it's quite a good number. Keep your hand up if you would like to tell us about it. And, you know, you would, you've just got an example. Yeah. Hi. I think this was fake news. I'm still not 100% sure. But I saw, um, I saw a picture of Donald Trump on my Facebook feed, and next to it was a quote that effectively said that if I ever were to run for a political party, I would run for the Republicans because they're the stupidest voters. And I think that was debunked post, yes, but I fell for it at the time. I definitely. fell for that as well. Yeah. You fell for that yeah. as well, because yeah. it, and you fell for it presumably because it tapped into something yep, you already exactly. believe. No, no, no. It's that thing of you, you, you gravitate towards the stories that you really want to believe in, and you shy away from the ones or you ignore the ones that dispute yeah. what it is you believe in. And Cra- that's, Cra- that's Craig perfect. Silverman's been very patient. Yeah. I want to go to you, Craig, on the question that was put here in the hall, which was, could you do a Wikipedia of Facebook? Because we've heard that Wikipedia have managed, you know, admirably to more or less, not always, but weed out things that are not true. Could that be done on Facebook? Uh, so I think one, one really big challenge to start with is the scale of Facebook, the amount of content. Um, I think it's something like 300 million links shared every week on Facebook. So if you want to have humans doing some kind of review process on that, it's probably not scalable. Um, however, you could probably come up with an idea to look something kind of like what Facebook used to have for its trending product. If you remember, you know, you see the little list of trending topics. At one point, they had a a group of editorial staffers who were kind of validating the topics that the algorithm would sort of spit out. And Facebook decided to get rid of them. And they got rid of them before their algorithm was good enough to not promote stuff that was totally false. Um, And obviously, there were some concerns that, that in the selection of those humans, were they too liberal and were they suppressing conservative sources was one piece of it. So I think... Are there human-machine uh, combination models? Yes. And, and if we're talking about Facebook, they do that to a certain extent. The way that they, for example, suppress uh, clickbait is that they have actual humans doing the, the drudge work of human, human labeling. Yes, this is a clickbait headline that, that you know, withholds information. No, this is not. And then the machines go and learn that and then try to make their guesses. So I think Facebook has a bit of that, but I I can't imagine they will ever want to have editors in there because they view humans as too messy, as too hard to scale, and potentially too biased. And as we said, we did try and get someone from Facebook here. Before I go back to members of our audience, I want to ask you something, Sarah, um, because you mentioned some, I think it was again, perhaps your daughter or somebody else, but who said that they check Google News and then they go to a more trusted provider. We've been talking mainly about what the providers can do, the producers of content. Um, 
is there a burden on us, the consumers of news? Should, do we need to get our act together and only stick, really, and only look at reputable, verifiable online you know, journalism and perhaps take responsibility for what we consume rather than hoping that you know, the great Facebook in the sky is going to take care of it for us? Yeah, because you know, the consumers are, are also the producers. That's the point. So that's what citizen journalism is. So it's a, it's a fantastic thing. But I think you just have to remember um, the point of journalism is that you, you're trying to find things out. And um, there was a very good quote from um, was it David Hairplay, possibly Pravda, about the sort of monster proprietor where he said, um, in, my, um, in my house I have a library full of books. I've never read any of them because I've already made up my mind. And I think that's the, um, you know, that's the point, that, that, that true journalists should start by wanting to find something out, not going... With, with preconceptions. But it's hard, about, but you should try. Sure. Um, but the question, in a way, to consumers of news, is there a bigger responsibility on us to, um, to, ver- you know, to filter what we look at more, more rigorously? Let's see if some hands are up and people have got questions. There's a gentleman there with the, wearing a white shirt, I think. Let's go to you, and then we'll carry on. Yeah. Uh, well, it really follows on uh, from that question. I wondered if we're completely misidentifying... The problem, fake news has been around forever. Technology may have increased its velocity, but fake news has been around forever. So perhaps we should zoom out. And maybe the problem is the state of... Uh, is, is education, perhaps. You know, are we... You know, our education systems are too focused on rote learning and following instructions. Perhaps we're not equipped to interrogate facts, think tangentially. Numeracy, even, you know, amongst otherwise very intelligent people... Is terrible if you can't work out what six zeros after a number is and divide it by the approximate size of the economy. How can you sort of think about anything a politician says? So perhaps um, we're misidentifying the problem by talking about the perpetrators of yes. fake news and perhaps it's more a societal problem. Yes, thank you. By number four, we've got a question there. Um, yeah, this is about um, responsibility again and whether that's on the consumer or the purveyor of information. Um, I just wondered if the panel had any views about whether or not sites such as, let's use Facebook as the example, should be mandated to... And I know Tim said that transparency doesn't work, but the fact is that 2 billion people use this platform and most of the people who use this, and I'd count most of the people in this room amongst them, don't understand what happens when they click stuff and when they write stuff and what that means about how likely it is that other people are going to see it. It's not just about pressing share on something. Every time you write a comment under an article on Facebook, even if the comment is, this is bullshit, why are you all commenting on this? It makes it more likely that other people are going to see that. They might not see your comment saying it's bullshit, they're just more likely to see it. People don't know that. People don't get it. Is there a duty of care on Facebook to at least reveal how that stuff works? Thank you. And by position number two. Yeah. Uh, thanks for uh, doing this tonight. Uh, my question is interesting to hear uh, folks talk about this has been around for a long time. Maybe it's Google and Facebook's fault. Uh, but I guess a question for each panelist, scale of one to ten, is this an issue in our society today? because one politician gave this news currency. Who are you talking about there? You know. <laughs> okay. Theresa May. Who yeah. <laughs> did use the term fake claims. Right. Who did what? She, did she not talk about fake claims this week? She so did use the term fake claims. Um, about, yeah, she accused Jeremy Corbyn of making yeah. fake claims about her policy. So microphone number three. 
Um, so Tim mentioned uh, Blair really, really briefly, but do you not think that after the Chilcot inquiry, uh, people would just naturally not trust the British media that supported the Iraq war, since it's been proved that Blair was mostly lying about a lot of those claims? Um, just let me thank you. There will be, obviously people will question that too. Um, I want to get one, more, one or two more in. We just had a run of male questioners, and I'm quite keen, people who have seen me do this before, to have a bit of a gender balance. So let's get microphone number one. Hello, I think, I don't know whether people yeah. are standing up, but um, I wonder whether um, there's a combination of both the Wikipedia kind of uh, model for Facebook and also uh, responsibility on consumers. Um, and I say that because I remember one of my dad shared a Britain first um, thing on Facebook and I wrote saying, I'm not sure whether you've checked the source of this. And I think people don't necessarily know where things are coming from, but it might take their family members and friends to kind of maybe explain things or kind of... So you think there's a responsibility on family members and friends to to do this, to point out... combination of the two, I think. Yes, interesting. Thank you. This might be the last one, I'm afraid. Microphone number three, there we go. Hi. um, I want to go back to the gentleman who raised that that point about zooming out a bit. And for me, this feels a bit that it's about stories and storytelling. And I wonder what you think to... So... Personally, since Brexit, I've retreated from news reading and started reading a lot of fantasy books. And actually, that's really... And I, didn't, I hadn't noticed I was doing it, so I, I picked it up. And I wondered if there's something about how maybe where we are at this point as a Western society, where maybe we lack that bigger narrative, that clarity about where we're going, maybe it's a bit easier to sink into these smaller stories that are more compelling and easier. I think that's fascinating. Thank you for all of those questions. Um, you're actually first up for this, James. Um, and well, let me see if there's one of any of these questions that I... Well, why don't you choose? In fact, you know yeah. what? Because most likely we had somebody there suggest that a person who bears big responsibility for this is Donald Trump because I think even you, James, would concede even he has not always been scrupulous about the facts. No, I think he's great. I think he's perfect. I know you think he's great, but yeah. he hasn't always no, been scrupulous. So why don't you address that? Hasn't put a, no, he hasn't put a foot wrong. No, I, you said I, I could answer which question I wanted. I, I liked the girl who said that she's turned to fantasy novels because I think that probably George R. R. Martin has more to tell us about contemporary politics than, uh, than any, any newspaper. Can I very, very briefly raise two really key points which, which, which no one's mentioned, and I think it's rather sad. I think we're forgetting sometimes the wisdom of crowds, that people are actually capable of discerning. And there is this kind of elitist assumption that people are thick, they don't know what's good for them, therefore they need these signposts from, from the authorities, from Facebook. I'm not sure I agree with that. And the second thing is there's a, there's a, a concerning issue about, um, about censorship and freedom of speech. After all... Uh, John Milton wrote in Areopagitica a a, a defence of free speech. And one of the things he said is that bad ideas need to be out there, being exposed, so that we can discern the bad ideas from the good ideas. And I think we're in danger of forgetting that in favour of an authoritarianism um, run by people whose judgment is not necessarily any better than the people they're passing judgment on. Okay, thank you. Equally concise, if you can, Sarah... Sands to you. What about this um, notion that... Let me have a look to see which one I want to put to you. Well, about education. Should it now be part of children's education in this country that they learn to interrogate social media and Facebook and what pops up on their phone? Should that be actually something that is part of the curriculum? 
Yeah, I, I think actually it was a really good idea, and that should be part of education anyway, of sort of training a mind to um, to interrogate, you know, back to this um, sense of inquiry. Um, so that that sounded um, very sensible to me. Um, the other thing I would just say, yes. sort of sum up, and slightly supporting sort of James on this, that I do think um, people will work. We're in pretty uncharted territory in all this. You know, there's a huge amount of information. We've seen already this flight to quality. We've seen that people actually do value. Um, expertise um, when when they when they they just have to see who they trust. But we know actually scientists are pretty trusted. We know teachers are pretty trusted. We know doctors are pretty trusted. And um, so I think you know in the end I'm pretty optimistic about it all. I think um, as I say the sort of truth um, comes out. It just it's just not immediate. So a closing thought from you, Armando. I, I, I want to pick up on the education thing actually because yeah. there's another thing we haven't really discussed, which is uh, we should not just debate social media. We should debate. Um, debate. I, I, I mean, it used to be something that uh, I grew up in the sort of Scottish debating tradition, and it was really fantastic. It's a fantastic discipline to, to have um, a proposal to debate it for 10 minutes and then to be told 10 minutes in to swap sides and have to think in the, the mind of your opponent. And I think we shy away from having discussions with people who disagree with us. If we actually believe, if we have confidence in our own faith and our own um, conclusions, they should be able to withstand attack from someone else. Uh, And I think what we do instead is retreat to those who agree with us. And we see anyone who disagrees with us, not just as an opponent, but as somehow offensive, that we're being offended, Our, our views are being ridiculed. And in fact, they're not. They're being challenged. And we should be confident enough. We should be confident about facts. If we believe in facts, we should be confident enough to use them. I'd really like to bring, um, uh, in addition to like uh, Tinder and Grindr and Fender and all these other... Uh, I, I, I want to propose an app, an app that puts you in touch with someone who has diametrically opposite views. Of you. <laughs> Very interesting. And I'd call it... I'd, uh, I'd, I'd call it ponder. Yeah. <laughs> swipe left Very or good. swipe right. You could do either. That's a really um, good idea. Very clever. There are, I'm guessing in this room there's probably half a dozen internet startup entrepreneurs already <laughs> quietly stepping out to set that up. Um, Craig Silverman, I, you're obviously closing remarks from you, but one thing I wanted to put to you was the question about from uh, the woman who said she's found herself, her word, retreating from news and reading fantasy instead and it just put in my mind this idea that we you know there is a tendency perhaps more pronounced on the liberal or left end of the spectrum to really obsess over facts and does it mean that people have on that side of the argument forgotten the power and appeal of story and narrative and actually maybe that's what the the side that you know one might want to brand fake news have going for them is they do know the power of storytelling And perhaps the other side is just in the business of selling dry facts that are so dry, people end up running off to read fantasy instead. I've talked a lot about platforms and technology and that kind of thing. At the core of it is really, um, you know, human, our emotions, the way our brains work. Uh, We are drawn to things that align with what we already think and what we already feel. And and the algorithms exasperate that. So I think people are not only retreating to fantasy, but they're also retreating into kind of their own ideological bubble and, you know, the last thing I would just say is, is I think this has come up a couple of times where um, people focus on, oh, conservatives and the right and, and their fake news. 
But since Trump has been elected, if you look at the really hyperpartisan liberal Facebook pages and websites, they are getting huge engagement because now they have an enemy. And there is absolutely a lot of misinformation coming from that side as well now. And so, again, it's not, it's not even about the sides. It's about us as humans and how we interact with the information in the world around us. And that's at the core of this challenge. That's why it's been around forever. But when those things become mediated by algorithms on huge platforms, suddenly um, it takes on another approach. So it is a complex problem, and it comes down to us as humans, I think, at the end of the day. Thank you. Tim Wu, a closing thought from you. One of the questions that came up was whether there should be some kind of responsibility on Facebook um, that they, when you're posting, to the user should know more about what's going to happen to the piece that they post, you know, that how it's going to get seen and it's going to go viral even if they are trying to debunk that piece. Right. No, yeah, I think it's optimistic to expect people to understand the, the algorithms of, of Facebook. I, if I can choose my question, I also want to make a comment on this, this uh, the book, you know, the, the retreat to books, not only because I'm an author. But I think there's another message in there, which is we are de- too dependent on news as entertainment. <laughs> you know, we somehow have some to think that news has to be, you know, entertaining. Um, if you want entertaining, then you, uh, read books. And maybe you don't need to spend all your... Think about how you spend your time and attention and whether you spend... It, why do you need to always be on, on Facebook? You know, can you, can you start at, at, at that level? And I, I think um, that, that's an important observation. We, we demand too much from our, our news that it be too entertaining for us. Um, you know, I'm a person who writes books about the broad sweep of history and, you know, the rise and falls of civilizations. And I think these issues are really serious. And I think the, the Iraq war comment really brings it slightly to a head. That, you know, people were saying, what fake news took you in that was the most important? Clearly that was the worst or the most important fake news in the last uh, 20 years, you know, even more than, you know, some random story about Pizzagate or whatever. Um, you know, I, I was taken in. I think a huge number of people believed that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction or they didn't have conclusive or, or, or a nuclear bomb in a briefcase. And so an open society made, two open societies at least, made some of the worst decisions they've ever made. You know, hundred, you know so many people died on the basis of fake news. That is the cost of fake news in a nutshell. Trillions of dollars spent, tens of thousands of people dying because of something someone made up uh, for political reasons. And that's what I'm scared about in our environment. I, I, I believe that the, the creation over the long term of an objective media of, of something called a journalist who has a profession is a serious achievement of civilization. And we are facing its unraveling, and I think we need to fight it if open societies are going to continue to have an advantage. John Stuart Mill's idea of the advantage of open societies was that they are able to debate two ideas and come to a better conclusion. But that presupposes an actual real debate based on real facts, where you have, for one thing, massive amounts of money spent to distort the debate, and second, you know, the, the arbitrage of facts being distorted, you have a grave risk, I think, for the future of our civilization. So I take this issue seriously, and I'm even more concerned to see over the next four years. I mean, you're optimistic, but you, you live here. Uh, i got to go back on a plane where... <laughs> Um, you know, it's just getting started, and you have a commander-in-chief who, who has understood the most powerful techniques of propaganda, frankly, a fascist, uh, fascist enterprise, uh, to try to force the people 
to listen to what he has to say all the time. I live in what I think is a free society. I nonetheless see the great leader's picture every day like 10 times and his slogans. And the United States is in serious trouble. And I think it's uh, those who value freedom, it's their time to fight. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. Just for the record, because this point of view ought to be at least expressed, I'm sure if Tony Blair were here, he would say it wasn't fake news. He'd seen evidence, and he came to that conclusion. He believed right. it. it was, I was know, actually blaming the, Amer- uh, the American. No, sure. Um, and, but just, just so if anyone yeah. is afterwards going to challenge us on the it was fake evidence. It was, okay. It was fake so evidence. that's it. I'm just saying what he would say if he were here, which he's not. Right. Um, like Facebook, he's not here tonight. Um, let's go to you, Jimmy Wells. I think the last thing that Tim said there cues you up nicely because we didn't answer the question that came over there about what role Donald Trump has played in this. Are we in a way talking about fake news because of him? Would we have done it otherwise? Uh, yeah, I mean, so on, on that point, uh, Tim asked the question, you know, Facebook deals with pornography, but the truth is none of my friends are posting pornography. I don't know what kind of friends you've got, Tim, but <laughs> that just doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, and, and the other question, you know, how, how could some pieces of the Wikipedia model be applied here? And for me, that's about genuine community control, and I don't have an easy answer for Facebook on that. Um, but I do think one of the things that they could do algorithmically that would be purely opt-in, purely voluntary, um, it's very similar to your app idea, is if they, one morning I got up and I got on Facebook and they said, oh, new option, do you want this? Instead of just showing you things that we think you're going to like, we want to show you some things that we think you're going to disagree with but appear to be quality. Because I would love to get out of my filter bubble. I want to be challenged intellectually because that's what the future depends on. Thank you. I think it's been a real tour d'horizon from our um, stellar panel. Tons to think about here. And I think pretty well all of it accurate and truthful. So I'm sure you're going to want to join me in thanking all of our guests and people here. Tim Wu, Amanda Yonichi, Sarah Sands, James Nicole, Jimmy Wells... Craig Silverman, thank you all. Thank you.